You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. As we inch closer to the NBA Finals, I can't stop thinking about legacy. But not the way you think. I can't stop thinking about legacy and how many of us are having the wrong conversation about the wrong player. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo for the next couple hours. You can listen to every game on the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. That's where you can get to every single second of the action and you want to make sure you do it. Now, I'll tell you about legacy in a second. First, I gotta, I gotta protect my own legacy here. Here we are. We're getting ready for the show. You know, everything's about to start. The ESPN Radio Sports Beat comes on, and I am really, I, I'm thankful. It's not always easy. I'm not gonna lie to you, but I am thankful that every day, uh, the 365, well, every weekday, I should say, I get to do the ESPN Radio Sports Beat. So I get to give you like two minutes of something on my mind, and in that process, it goes to every ESPN Radio affiliate. Gets played all the time. Today, for some reason, somebody that edited that, uh, put it together, decided to put my voice into like slow-mo. Producer extraordinaire, Devin, uh, have we figured out who's responsible for this? Because I have never sounded weirder than I did on the sports beat. First of all, I think you missed a great opportunity to do the thing where, you know, classic ESPN for you to go, I'm Jason Fitz, ESPN. <laughs> you you could have done that. I, obviously, you didn't know your voice was slowed. I don't know. I'm trying to get down to the bottom of it. Um yeah, I'm even like, I. so I put all this thought when I first started doing it. This is a deep dive that nobody cared about. But uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, CNN all the time to see the sports minute on it when I finally had cable in life. And Jerome Jerenovich used to do the CNN like sports minute, whatever it was called. And so he would always do this great sign-off where he was like, I'm Jerome Jerenovich, CNN sports, like headline sports, however he did it. But he always had this Jerome Jerenovich thing, right? Right. So cool. So I put thought, I was like, what am I going to do to sign off? So every Every day I go, CESPN Radio, Sports Beat! Like, I yell it like a maniac every day because it's something, like, it's my little, it's my, my little thing. I was going to say, what you're doing just there, you you know, you you tend to have a higher pitch voice when you mm-hmm. get excited. So the fact that it was slowed down, it almost makes it seem like you have a normal voice. Oh, well, that's that's probably, we finally figured out how I could hit puberty. Maybe Sarah called the, the producers from a distance and said, can we make my co-host at least sound like he's gone through the change? That's all I can figure out. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz on ESP Radio. I've gone off the rails in a matter of seconds, but now I'm going to give you some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, th- this is simple. There is nothing left for Steph Curry to accomplish. And anybody that is telling you that something has to happen for Steph Curry, I think they're absolutely wrong. I think we've got a bunch of people at this company that are just desperate to find something to say every day, so they yell about Steph Curry when Steph Curry has nothing left to prove. So I have no interest in a legacy conversation about Steph. See, we're getting this thing wrong. The person that has legacy on the line in these finals, the person that has everything to gain and I think everything to lose— Draymond, hear me out. Like, I know we're going to make this about Steph and Clay, but that's part of it. When you think about the greats, when you think about the amazing NBA teams, I'm not talking about championship teams. I'm talking about the all-time teams, right? Like the team that you sit around at the barbecue and you yell at your buddies about which one of these great teams was the greatest of all of them. The teams that you look back and say, I was lucky to get to watch them play. Oh, man. Like, let's think just a few years ago. What do we define the Warriors as? We define the Warriors as Steph Clay and, no, KD. Steph Clay and KD. When you think back to the best of the best that the Bulls ever gave us, what was it? It was Jordan. It was Pippen. It was Rodman. 
The Heat had their big three. We all know that, right? D-Wade, LeBron, Bosh, right? You can go up and down the list. The Lakers that I grew up watching as a little kid. It wasn't just Magic and Kareem. It was Magic, Kareem, and Worthy. That was their big three. The Celtics grew up in that era of Bird, McHale, Parrish. It was their big three. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Draymond saying, man, like you weren't in that conversation. Now, you might be a great player, but that doesn't mean you're that. There's a difference between big three and the greatness that comes with it and the three that we're seeing right now because let's be real. We're going to talk in about 20 minutes to Kirk Goldsbury, who has a great article out on ESPN Plus right now about how the big twos can be attacked on both sides because this is about offensive dynamic performers on both sides. And I've said for the last two days, I think Draymond and Marcus Smart have great opportunities to be the series MVP. I think that's real. But boy, Draymond better want that. Because let's face it, as much as we talk about Golden State How much of the conversation around Draymond is because of Golden State? I love listening to Draymond talk about basketball. I think he's great at media. He's great at his thing. I love listening to that media thing happen. I love listening to the podcast. Are any of us listening to Draymond Green's podcast if it isn't for Katie? I mean, I know he's got great things to say, but platform doesn't always come from just being great at your job. Platform has to come from the drama that comes around it. There are great actors every day that we never talk about, but we talk about the ones that are in the big dramatic movies. There are great, there are killer musicians that will never be discovered. Most often, the most famous musicians, in many people's opinions, are the ones that are the least qualified to be as famous as they are. But they have that it factor, that thing. Draymond can be Defensive Player of the Year all day. He can be that caliber player all day. But so is Ben Wallace. We weren't flocking to hear everything that Ben Wallace had to say. Marcus Camby was a defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year. We listening to a Rudy Gobert podcast? See, some of this came from the legacy built around. And that's why, you know, Draymond is out here calling out KD for being baited into his takes. And, and this is what happens. I mean, right? Like, at the end of the day, you've constantly got take on take on take on take coming across the board as everybody has their take on what needs to be said. You know, but Draymond came out on his podcast and said Steph Curry got double teamed probably seven times the amount that KD did in a given series. So, all of a sudden, he baits him, and now KD's going to turn around and respond. Durant Durant responded with, quote, from my point of view, this is 100% false. But this whole conversation is part of the legacy. Like, Draymond. Draymond the athlete. Really good basketball player. Draymond the athlete. I mean, is he this generation's Rodman in his greatness? Is he this generation's Worthy? Is he this generation's McHale? Nah. In fact, I've heard callers calling into our shows on ESPN Radio asking, well, what would Steph be if Steph played somewhere else? It's a real question. What would Steph be, right? What would KD be? If you're a great defensive player, but you're not on a team that has dynamic personalities like Steph and Clay, you're not on a team that has the KD drama. If you're a great defensive player, but you don't have all of these other things circling around that make your team less of a team and more of a circus show? Are we paying as much attention? I don't think so. If Draymond comes into these finals, it doesn't play well. If Golden State loses, in part because of Draymond, then we're going to be looking straight at and should be looking straight at 
that legacy and asking ourselves how deserving Draymond is of the platform he has if he's not the best of the best the way he's being talked about. Because look at the way we're talking about this series. Everybody's talking about this series being a big two versus a big two. So I got to ask you, Draymond, are you part of a big three? Because if you are, your legacy needs work. That's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contract, no compromise. Speaking of legacy, Nick Saban's is unquestionable. He spoke again at the SEC meetings, and I've decided he thinks we're all stupid. You'll hear it, and we'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So many amazing playoff battles happening right now. I have not been this excited for an NBA Finals in years. I'm going to tell you that. Like, I cannot wait for every ounce of it injected in my veins. As I said earlier, you can hear every single second of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. And Spain and Fitz will be with you every night before those uh, games. So you'll still get a little of us, but you'll get a lot of that NBA flavor. Also tonight on ESPN, 8 p.m. Eastern, you don't want to miss Lightning Rangers in what should be an incredible... You've got, I I think, arguably the best story in the entire Stanley Cup playoff for the Rangers that have been up against elimination so many nights, taking on what has become, I think, pretty, pretty definitively the the landmark franchise in hockey. I can't believe I'm saying that about the Lightning, but two in a row going for three in a row, and we're barely talking about them. Like, that is going to be an epic battle that starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. Arta Okow will join us next hour or two to preview some of that NHL action that you absolutely have to have. So uh, lots of good, good coming up for you, but we're also getting so much stuff out of the SEC uh, as SEC meetings are taking place, and a lot's going to happen this week. Uh, Conversations about scheduling, what it's going to look like uh, that will impact not just the SEC, but I think all of college football. They are, for anyone not uh, aware, they're deciding right now whether they're going to do an eight-game or nine-game conference schedule. That That could include one permanent rival or three permanent rivals. So all sorts of change coming in college football over the next couple of years as a result of this week. But the other part of this week is that you know you're suddenly going to immediately hear from everybody, because last week we heard from Nick Saban when his quote was Texas A&M bought every player on their team. Now, uh, he's walked that back since saying that's not exactly what he meant. And Jimbo came back and said, oh, yeah, take a look at his record. And I think you'll find plenty there. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. You have to start to look at these men and hold them to a higher standard. They are the highest paid educator in their state. They are paid to represent their school, and I think they did it terribly last week. So now the question is, what are we going to get this week? Because you know you're going to hear from everybody. Well, we heard from Nick Saban today at the SEC Spring Meetings press conference, and this is what Coach Saban had to say about the comments and the feud with Jimbo Fisher. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm going to say about this, but I guess the point and I should have n- never mentioned any individual institutions. I said that before. But, you know, some kind of uniform uh, name, image, and likeness, you know, standard um, that supports some kind of equitable uh, national competition. A couple of things here. Number one, uh, Nick Saban says, I didn't say anything, uh, you know, that they, I didn't say anyone did anything illegal. You are absolutely splitting hairs and. Nick Saban would never say that to his wife about a comment she caught him in. He's in that that gray area where it's like, hey, I didn't say specifically they broke any rules. I'm just saying they bought every player. Well, it would be against the law for them to have bought every player. There's a difference between I bought every player 
and players on their team have name image likeness deals. And frankly, as I've said a million times, if all AM did was within the scope of the rules find a way to get better name image likeness opportunities for their players, they should be slow clapped for that. Now, the last part of what he said is what really bothers me. I'm going to play it for you again. I want you to hear Nick Saban's words. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm going to say about this. But I guess the point, and I should have n- never mentioned any individual institutions. I said that before. But, you know, some kind of uniform uh, name, image, and likeness, you know, standard um, that supports some kind of equitable uh, national competition. Uniform, equitable, national competition. Now, coach? Because last time I checked, you weren't worried about uniform, equitable, or competitiveness when it came to, I don't know, the amount of money you make. You weren't worried about it when it came to, I don't know, the amount of teachers, let's call them that, that you have on your staff. You weren't worried about equitable when it came to you building what you thought you needed to build from a teaching standpoint in Alabama. Were you worried about equitable when you were figuring out what your facilities were going to look like? Did you ever stop and say, wait, wait, guys, wait, we can't build these facilities. They're better than UNLVs. Like, was that ever a conversation? Because it certainly drives me crazy to think that coaches, that representatives from schools are now picking equitability as this moment when it comes to the athletes that they're trying to keep under their thumbs instead of looking at their own pocketbooks. Now, Nick Saban, if you want to come in and you want to tell me that your entire staff, you included, is taking a pay cut to make sure you are not paid more than any other entire coaching staff in the entire country, then we, we can have a conversation about equitable. But man, how stupid do you think we are? You pick and choose where you want equitable to live as long as it's convenient for the way that you build your football program. Man, how do you feel good about saying that to anybody? How can you possibly feel good about saying that the answer is to limit the kids that play for you because you want competitiveness across college football when it doesn't exist in any other way between any other programs? How? I just can't wrap my head around it. And right now is an opportunity. Nick Saban could be the leader. His voice has power. He knows it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo. His voice has meaning. When Nick Saban goes to legislature legislation, and, and speaks to people, they listen. When Nick Saban goes to Alabama, speaks to people, they listen. In fact, many Alabama fans called me last week when I was on the Feinbaum show and said, look, he was just talking to his boosters. Okay. He knows the power of his voice. And right now, the power of Nick Saban's voice could be about finding ways for kids to get opportunity. And instead, his voice is trying to limit the very kids that put it all on the line for him every single Saturday. And you're going to look them in the eyes when you recruit them? How? That's the part that I can't wrap my head around. Because if you're Nick Saban, man, you could come out today and say, hey, let's figure this out. Let's do this a better way. And if you did that, how many kids would look at it and say, that guy, that guy has my back. He truly has my, he understands that not only am I trying to get through school, not only am I trying to get to the NFL, but I'm also trying to take the best opportunities that I can for my brand. He gets that. I want to play for him.
See, here's the thing Nick keeps forgetting. When Nick asks for everybody to come in and turn around and give us some sort of equitable playing field, what he forgets is that the NCAA had that opportunity for years and they lost it. The NCAA chose for years to ignore name, image, likeness opportunities and instead try and hold those kids down for years, for generations, and they didn't do a damn thing about it. And now the cat's out of the bag. Now the toothpaste is out of the tube. And now, now that Congress, now that legislation in different states, now that uh, attorneys have looked at all of this and said, you don't have the right legally to do what you're doing, now he says, oh, well, we got to come up with the system. You had your chance, NCAA, and you lost it. And Nick Saban, you had your chance before any of this came down to use the power of your voice to create change behind the scenes in the NCAA, and you didn't do it. And now, instead of using that same voice, instead of learning from those lessons and creating a better environment for the kids that play college football, nah, you don't want to do that. You want to come up with something fair and equitable. Fair and equitable in a way that doesn't cost you a dime, that still lets you to do business however you want to do it, still lets you build whatever facilities you want, still lets you get the booster money wherever you want to take it. Man, fair and equitable must mean something different to Nick Saban than it does to me. Because it sure sounds like the only person worried about fair and equitable is Nick Saban in his house, not for everybody else that's playing for him. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance protects small businesses with affordable coverage options. Quote today at ProgressiveCommercial.com. You guys can chime in, by the way. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. I'll take your calls. I'm not afraid of it. In the meantime, we've got some NBA finals to break down. The question is, which duo in the finals will get the better of the others? We'll ask an expert next. Spain and Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and, as always, the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to every game of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm flying solo tonight, so don't forget uh, also to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast. It gives you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Now, let's get you some insight, some expertise, because this is an incredibly interesting finals to me, as I mentioned earlier. And One of the things that makes it interesting are the matchups. Kurt Goldsbury, ESPN NBA analyst, has a great article out there on ESPN Plus right now, diving into which duos can attack which team defensively in this final series. Kirk joins us now. Kirk, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with me. So, as you got into this article to try and figure out which dynamic duos could attack which defense, which path was tough for you, for you to figure out? How Golden State can crack the Celtics or how the Celtics can crack Golden State? How the Celtics can crack Golden State because I think, you know, the, the Warriors are a proven commodity. We've seen these people win a championship. In fact, we've seen them do it three times. So I think that helped me figure out how they could do it uh, this time around. We have not seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, in the finals before we have seen them, to their credit, eliminate Kevin Durant, uh, eliminate Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the Miami Heat, of course. So uh, that was the tougher one right off the bat was was the Celtics side of things. Uh, What you just mentioned, though, is really interesting to me. The path to a championship has been so difficult in brand name for the Celtics. So when you look at how different the teams are that they faced along the way, how does that help you figure out who they can be in the finals? 
You know, it starts with defense. They they shut down Kevin Durant in a way that really opened my eyes. Uh, I know it seems like two years ago now, but, you know, Kevin is the best offensive player in the world. He comes into that series, and they made him look ugly. And, and I'll do respect to Kevin Durant. He's one of the best scorers we've ever had. But that's when I really started to think the Celtics' defense was like the 85 Bears. Uh, they could go all the way to the championship. So that's what, what they're bringing through the Eastern Conference playoffs and into these finals is arguably one of the best team defenses we've seen in the league since maybe the Spurs were in their absolute prime or the Warriors themselves uh, in their first run when they were absolutely dominant on the defensive end. So they can beat anybody any night just because their defense can make a great player or a great team look pretty ugly. Now, one problem we've seen for the Warriors throughout the course of this year, especially in the postseason, is turnovers on the offensive side of the floor. So what do the Celtics need to do to maximize the number of turnovers for Golden State? Yeah, I think turnovers are something to watch here. Both of these teams are pretty sloppy with the basketball. Um, again, Golden State, when they get going, though, their offense can sort of deodorize any kind of turnover problems they've had. They've had these turnover problems since they started this dynasty. The Celtics, on the other hand, their turnovers have cost them games in these playoffs. And, in fact, in the last series, uh, they turned the ball over so many times in those heat losses uh, that it was it was bad. I think Jason Tatum had 33 turnovers in the conference finals, and Jalen Brown had 23. Uh, no other player in that whole series on either team had more than 12. Uh, and some of Tatum's lazy passes and Jalen Brown's, you know, sloppy dribbling are going to be really costly against the Golden State team that that turns live ball turnovers into points on the other end. So I think. That is a key thing to watch here, and I, I believe that, that a high turnover total is much more dangerous for the Celtics in this series than it would be for the Golden State Warriors. We're talking to Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN staff writer. You can check out the article out on ESPN Plus right now. It's a great read uh, on the dynamic duos and who can break through. So let me try and judge the Warriors, or help me, I should say, judge the Warriors for who they are today and not for who we've seen throughout the course of this dynasty. What makes this team click compared to those others? You know, this team is sort of a really interesting team because they blend the wisdom of an existing dynasty with some really impressive young talent. Uh, so they have, of course, you have to start all these conversations with three guys, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green are still there. Kevon Looney is still there. But then you have young players like Gary Payton uh, and you have uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. Uh, there's just a, another, uh, and of course, Jordan Poole, who's this incredible young scorer off the bench. So all these guys under 25 and then the guys over 30 combined for this really interesting blend of youth and wisdom that gives this particular Warriors team some fresh legs at a time in their dynasty. They've been to the final six times in the last eight years. The last team to do that was the Jordan Pippen Bulls. Uh, and if you remember the end of those Jordan era Bulls, they were out of gas. Uh, the, the Michael Jordan could barely get through some of those last series. Of course, he did heroically. Uh, but it's very helpful to have these young legs at this stage of the dynasty. And that's what players like Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga are giving to the Warriors on both ends of the court. When you mention the big names and the veterans that we're used to watching Draymond is one of those obviously put him into context for us because I mean the, the earlier dominant Warriors teams were so reflective of we always talked about KD and you know Clay and Steph as the big three so where does Draymond fall in the big three type category 
You know, he is the captain of the defense, first and foremost, and he is one of the most brilliant, most sort of disruptive defensive players of the modern NBA. Uh, His ability to play the five at his size uh, and defend so well enables this team to play fast uh, and to play a spacey version of offense on the other end of the court that opens up those shots that have made Steph and Clay so famous. In fact, Draymond is the leading assister for both Steph and Clay's threes throughout their career. So he does two things. Obviously, he's like the Mike Singletary of the defense. He is a iconic defensive leader that, that teaches as much as he plays on defense. But then on offense, he's a playmaker. Uh, and his ability to, to make the plays and let Steph run off the ball, let's Clay run off the ball, let's Jordan Poole play off the ball, and find open shooting spaces that have really made those three-point shots that make this team – will go down in history for uh, possible. So Draymond's passing and his defense, I think, is how he fits into that conversation. I think the other interesting part of this series that I'm trying to wrap my head around are, are the coaches because we've seen so much proof of concept from one sideline and none from the other. So how do how do you sort of value the coaching in this series? Steve Kerr, uh, one of the best coaches in, in recent NBA history. It's, it's as simple as that. He deserves credit for taking this Warriors team over in 2014 and bringing them all the way to the championship in his first year. Ime Adoka on the Celtics is trying to do the exact same thing. Take a team that sort of was underperforming the last few years and get them over the top right away. So they have that kind of in common. They both have roots with, with Greg Popovich and the Spurs, uh, and they both can sort of connect with players in part because they played in the NBA. Ime Adoka uh, and Steve Kerr both played in the NBA. But I think it's Adoka's ability to, to get through to Robert Williams III, the Celtics center, that has really turned this team into a championship contender. I think his ability uh, to, to get Robert Williams out on the floor and, 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 and into the defensive uh, starting five, into the starting five of the Celtics, has made the Boston Celtics what they are, which is the best defense in the NBA. Uh, and the missing piece to that was Robert Williams III. And, and for whatever reason, whatever skill he may had, it was to make – uh, Robert Williams III really become the best version of himself, and that's really changed the, the vibe around that Boston team. It's a great readout on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to make you smarter as you watch the series. I cannot wait for all of it. Kirk, thanks so much for the breakdown. Thanks so much for the work, and thanks for hanging out with me. Anytime. Enjoy the finals. It's great work from Kirk. Be sure to check it out, and uh, we appreciate him hanging out with us. We'll keep you updated. We are only 18 minutes from the puck drop, the Lightning taking on the Rangers. I cannot wait for this game. It has been a delight. If you haven't watched it, you can tonight on ESPN. But in the meantime, I know we talk about football year-round, but sometimes people I love at this network put out lists so stupid they need to be called out. That's what's happened. I love you, Dan Orlovsky, but uh, it's time to trash Dan. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. You guys can tweet me at Jason Fitz if you want. You can hang out with me here. And I, I'm going to tell you a little story, okay? It's a true story. Many years ago, not many years ago, but a few years ago, sitting there watching TV, and I'm watching the NFL Network, which I watch a lot of. I love the NFL Network. I'm watching. Uh, they're doing their thing. And Dan Orlovsky comes on the NFL Network. And I watched Dan just start breaking something down. And I was like, this is riveting. So I'm texting my buddy. And I'm like, man, Orlovsky is crushing this. And he's like, hey, I got Orlovsky's number. You should text him and tell him that. So I get uh, I get a text. Uh, I get his phone number. And I text Orlovsky. This is years ago. And I'm like, dude, you are 
gifted with this stuff. Thanks. That's where my friendship starts with Dan Orlovsky before he works for ESPN. So when he becomes a teammate uh, for us at ESPN, I take uh, I take that seriously. I love it when people come on board here. I love the opportunities we get to work with each other. So I immediately text Dan and said, oh, my God, you're the best. And every time Dan has a Raiders take I don't like, uh, he knows he's going to get a text from me. We've got a thing, right? We've got like a little – I'd like to say it's a one-sided bromance. I love Dan more than Dan loves me. Our bromance took a hit today. And took a hit in the form of a quarterback list. Now, I understand as much as you do that it's it's June, right? Like it's early June. Half your brain is into the NBA finals. The other half of your brain is into the uh, Stanley Cup, the, the quest for Lord Stanley's Cup, right? Like your brain's all over the place. You're not sitting here thinking about quarterbacks. But Dan's got a job to do, and he's got to make sure that we are all thinking about quarterbacks all the time. So here I am, la-di-da, putting together the show with Devin, the producer extraordinaire. We try and get ready for the evening. And I'm like, all right, everything's good. And Devin says, you know what? Did you see this Orlovsky list? Oh, let me see it. Orlovsky puts out a list of quarterbacks that you win with or quarterbacks that you win because of, right? So quarterbacks that vault you into the category of we are winners as long as we've got this guy versus the quarterback that like, hey, you've got him, you surround him with the right things, and maybe you're going to be just fine. Now, some of the quarterbacks you win with on his list would include names like Mac Jones. I think it's a little early to know anything about Mac or Tua. Or Baker Mayfield, and I'm not sure, you know, exactly where anybody falls on Baker, but I see his logic. Ryan Tannehill, I see that. Talk to the Titans, uh, talk to 102.5 the game every week in Nashville. I know that everybody's a little bit torn on Tannehill. I'm I'm good with these lists. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Jameis Winston, Kyler Murray, Jimmy G. Okay, I'm good with all that. The one that causes a lot of controversy for people is Dak. Dak's on the list of quarterbacks you win with. So to that I start thinking, okay, well, who the hell's on the list of quarterbacks you win because of? Now, some of these make a ton of sense. The Josh Allens of the world, the Lamar Jacksons of the world, the Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrows. But then it starts to get a little tricky to me because I'm looking around. Yeah, the Aaron Rodgers. Yep, the Tom Brady's. I'll give you that. There's a handful of names on this list that I don't know how Dan qualifies the word win. Because uh, to to some people's credit, you can look at it and say, well, any win is a win, and hey, you win because of this guy. Okay. One of the names on the list, one of the names is Justin Herbert. He didn't go to the playoffs last year. I mean, the Chargers win with him, but he didn't go to the playoffs. One of the names on that list is Derek Carr. Now, y'all know I love Derek Carr. Like, I have a certified absolute man crush on my favorite team's quarterback. In fact, first time I ever played the National Anthem. Derek Carr's rookie season. Played the National Anthem for my beloved Raiders. Stood on the 50-yard line. Finished playing the anthem. In that moment, Carr jogged up to me, gave me the pro hug, and said, dude, that was the most beautiful anthem I've ever heard. I think in that moment, we became best friends. We've never talked since. But I think in that moment, we became best friends. Did you weep? Uh, not in front of anybody. Does that count as an answer? <laughs> no. I mean, it was a pretty surreal experience standing at, at you know in Oakland on the on the sideline, and they were doing a flyover with all the Jets. It was uh, it was for uh, Veterans Appreciation Week that they do every year, and so it was a big. Yeah, it was a big. But imagine but, the shot if you're just playing the national anthem and a single solitary tear runs down your face, like, and it's zoomed in on you. That's like, oh, man. Yeah, that's you're right, Dev. And, you know, the funny thing is people would think that that was because of the emotion of the anthem, and it would really be because, like, Derek Carr standing like right here, and I've, I've got a shot at a Derek Carr jersey, right? Like, that. I mean, look, let me be clear on my love of Derek Carr, because D.C. known to block some people. D.C. don't block me. Like, I'm not saying anything bad about you. 
but do you really belong on the quarterbacks you win because of list? I mean, look, uh, Derek Carr's record in the playoffs is 0-1. I think we all know that, right? And the Raiders had a spectacular year last year. I, I may or may not have dabbled a little bit of my coinage this year on early MVP odds for Derek Carr. That's how much I like Derek Carr. But, I mean, quarterbacks you win because of. That just that screams like, I got this guy. I'm in it no matter what. And that was the case this year for the Raiders, but it hasn't been the case every year. In fact, Deshaun Watson is a, a polarizing one. And for once, I'm not talking about everything off the field, right? I, I mean, for once, if we just, it, it, as hard as that is, if we take Deshaun Watson's current situation and everything, uh, all of the uh, lawsuits that he's facing, and we take all of that and just for, for one second, let me press pause on all of that and just look at his career record, I don't know how you can say in the pros that you're winning with him. I mean, his last season with Houston was an abomination, 4 and 12, right? 10 and 5 before that, 11 and 5 before that. So they did have a couple of really good years. But even in his best year, 2020, he completed 70% of his passes for 4,800 yards. Oh my God, just an, an amazing 33 touchdowns, seven picks. 112.4 QB rating. Like, those are astounding numbers. And I, I believe that just the quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But she didn't win because of him. Like, this is the weirdest part about quarterbacks and why quarterbacks, win losses to me, aren't a quarterback stat. I just can't, I can't pull that into my brain. And as much as I respect where Dan's coming from on a list, like he also includes Matt Stafford as the quarterback you win because of. Yeah, if you're the Rams, if you got everything else around him, sure. You know, if you're AT&T doing an ad campaign, you definitely win because of him. Did the Lions win a bunch of football games? Like, what are we qualifying as win here? I I don't know. I, I have no idea. Isaiah in Nebraska has called into the show. I love taking calls. Like, we're going to be interactive as all get out here. So, Isaiah, I, I had some harsh words for Nick Saban. I know you're calling in about that. Isaiah, what do you got? Thanks for calling the show. Uh, I was just basically saying that you can't just blame Nick Saban on that whole situation. And, I mean, I can I can I hate Nick Saban and Alabama as much as the rest of the country does, but – all the other coaches in the NCAA, I feel like, need to take take responsibility as well because they, they take care of, or they're supposed to take care of their players as much as Nick Saban is supposed to. I mean, are they not? Uh, I mean, in this instance, Nick Saban is saying that Jimbo went out and bought his entire roster. I mean, if Jimbo's playing within the rules, is that not taking care of the players? I mean, it is definitely, but, <clears throat> but I, I feel like every coach probably in the NCAA does, you know, something they're not technically supposed to to be able to get a player that they really want you know especially a, a game changer this is and thanks for the call as i appreciate it this is the toughest part about me uh, for me about these discussions every school's doing it like I, I grew up a unlv fan and when i was a kid unlv basketball was untouchable stacy augman stacy call me i love you larry johnson uh, those teams uh, were absolutely Incredible. I, I remember fighting to try and get a seat into Thomas and Mack Center as a kid because, my God, those UNLV teams were everything. Now, did they acquire their roster legally? Many would look back and say no. And as a result, everything fell apart when they started to go through uh, the penalty process, right? It is easy for anybody to look at it and say, well, we weren't doing anything that they're not doing. What are we, 12 years old? 
one of the things that I think has, has permeated into society, because I wanted to use a big word and Sarah's not here to tell me if I used it right. One of the things that has really crept into every ounce of society is fighting like we're kids. When I was a kid, I've got a big brother and he's four and a half years older than I am. And uh, if, if I did something and my mom was yelling at me, the number of times I would look at her and be like, yeah, but Dustin did this. And my mom, who is a no BS woman, would immediately turn around and say, I don't care. Are we talking about what he did right now? At some point, it can't be about, well, this team's also doing this and this guy's also doing this and this person's also doing this. Like, that doesn't matter. The question here right now is what is Nick Saban saying? What is Nick Saban accusing people of? What is Nick Saban walking back? What is Nick Saban willing to do to change the atmosphere that's around him? And when Nick Saban says he wants a system that's fair and equitable, is he willing to do that if it means looking in the mirror and being fair and equitable in his own life? Those are real conversations. And the way that we all attack it with everybody's getting away with it has got to change in all of society, not just sports, in all of society. Ownership of your truth right there means it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. We've got to demand better from every single person involved. All right, we're going to head to Florida next, get an update on the SEC spring meetings from one of the smartest experts we have at this entire company. It will make the show smarter, I promise. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The college football calendar is really year-round at this point, and the SEC is at the front of so many people's minds because as they meet, there's the chance for not only their landscape to change, but to continually change the entire landscape of college football. We'll get back into the NHL and the NBA Finals, I promise. Don't forget, you can listen to every game of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio, but it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo tonight. And uh, whenever we need to get smart insight, we pick up the bat phone, and we're very lucky that Heather Dinich answers on the other side, ESPN College Football Senior Writer. Heather joins us now as we try and figure out what to make of all of the drama happening in Destin, Florida. So, uh, Heather, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. We talked earlier on this show about Nick Saban and his reaction. What did you take away from his press conference in Destin? (laughs) We're moving on. We're moving on. I think he said it maybe a dozen times at least. 10 for sure that I counted in my transcript. Um, look, publicly, he's saying he's turned the page and they've moved on. And Nick Saban said similar comments. Greg Sankey told me that as well. Clearly, they have gotten the memo from Greg Sankey that they needed to put out this fire. And they did. I personally have my doubt that internally, Jimbo has moved on from this. Um, I just find that difficult. And Some sources I've spoken to have indicated that that's the case, but this is it. Um, They got the message, and they're moving on. They left, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Coaches are done here. (laughs) What is the – with that being said, one of the things that Nick talked about was wanting name, image, likeness to have one system that's fair and equitable for competitive balance in college football. Uh, is, in, in your reporting so far, have you seen any movement towards one system that would cross all conferences? No, I haven't. And honestly, in speaking to some people across conferences, there's a hesitancy legally to try to figure it out together because of fears of collusion in some way. I mean, I don't have a law degree and can't explain all that stuff to you, but, you know, there is a reason that Greg Sankey and George Kleofkoff of the PAC-12 came to Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago to speak to senators to ask for help. And it's along those lines, right, of trying to get one 
uniform policy for everyone. But the reality is, and the commissioners know this, that they may or may not get that. And it's certainly not going to happen before the midterm elections. So the leaders of college athletics, it's on them to figure this out. And I, I do believe that they understand that. But I, I'm not sure with where everyone is right now in terms of varying state by state laws. This is reflective of the pandemic, too. Very similar, right? Different state by state laws um, are forcing, uh, making it very difficult for conferences to do similar things. So with that being said, we're talking to Heather Denich on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, with that being said, in five years, do, are we still having this name image likeness conversation then? That's a great question. You know, yeah. I think there will be different questions that come out of it. I mean, what are in five years, nobody even can tell us what the NCAA <laughs> is going to look like, what college football is going to look like. I mean, they need an NCAA president. They're not, we, we could talk for a long time about what things are going to look like in five years, but this is where we are right now. It's hypothetical upon hypothetical, and there aren't answers. There, there just aren't. I, I tweeted today that reporters can now have um, an NIL bingo card in every press conference. I mean, start with collectives in the middle in the free space and just kind of work your way around. Wild West, see some guardrails. I mean, <laughs> whatever you want. Booster in the corner, throw it out there. We got it all. If we don't turn this into a game show at the college football seminar this year for ESPN, like, uh, look, Heather, you, you have a lot more pull with this network than I'll ever have. So, like, I, I, I see myself hosting a game show. We play bingo. There we go. We're, we're, we're going to make this happen. Uh, there, this isn't the only initiative at the SEC meetings, though. There was also a lot of conversation about scheduling. Did the SEC come any closer to figuring out what they're going to do in the future? I don't think so. But I will tell you this. Greg Sankey and Jimbo Fisher, who happens to be the chair of the coaches group this year, it's a rotating position, both said that they had the most substantive conversations ever, basically, that they could remember about all of these things. And scheduling is a huge component of it. They're trying to figure out now whether eight or nine league games is the best way to go. And there are a lot of different questions still surrounding that. One of the biggest is what does the future of the college football playoff look like in 2026? This current contract goes through 2025. And the reason that matters is because if the playoff by chance were to stay at four, it would make sense for the SEC to say it eight league games because then you do still have that cream puff game that's right i said that um and it's because it's so difficult to get in when there's just four but if there's a 12 team playoff and you have more margin for error i think the coaches would be more willing to beef up their schedules to a nine game league schedule and i asked greg sankey today would those sec teams that have acc rivalries still want to keep them. And he said it's as important right now as it was last year. And that's not, um, that's not a variation in terms of the conversation. So it's eight or nine league games, but there are still so many unanswered questions. I quite frankly would be surprised if the president's vote on that on Friday. Yeah, this is so it's so stunning and frustrating all at once for me, Heather, listening to you talk because it feels like everybody's just standing there waiting for certain answers that we're not going to get anytime soon. And until we get those answers, there can't be any action. So, like, I'm trying to figure out what actually solves any of these issues that we're talking about in college football in a way that we're not still talking about them in a year. And I can't. I can't find that. Like, playoff expansion, we're no closer to any sort of a real answer on that than we were a year ago, are we? 
No. But I will tell you <laughs> that I got Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov on the ESPN College Football Podcast earlier today. And he told my colleague Adam Rittenberg and I that he's confident that the playoffs going to expand in 2026. And I said, why? Why are you confident? And he said, because the issues that we have are at the margins. That's the phrase that he used. He believes that the time spent away from each other and talking about this ad nauseum as they did for months, meeting after meeting, um, a little separation time is good for people sometimes, my friend. And so he thinks sort of taking a step back and coming back together. And when they do talk about it again, remember, we're very close to hearing some news from the Big Ten in terms of its TV rights deal. The Pac-12 will follow after that. How does that all play into the discussions? And I think as you start to get those answers, other things start to get answered as well. It's going to be like a flood of information. And to follow all of it, you follow Heather on, on Twitter, at CFB Heather. Heather, as always, I appreciate your time and your expertise. Thanks so much for giving us the knowledge. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, we got Roy in San Antonio. Roy, thanks for calling the show. What do you got, bud? You was in Vegas with UNLV. I was too. From 1995 uh, to 95, I was a tour bus driver when I drove UNLV football players to the, to the uh, arena. And, but, but about Saban, Saban's now pissed. And what he said, he meant. And he blew the whistle on everybody that was so immature just because he got mad because everybody found out what he was doing. Now he wants a level playing field because he knows now he's not going to be able to do what he's been doing. And it's pretty childish. I lived in Tuscaloosa for 23 years, and it's ridiculous. I couldn't stand Alabama because I was paying money to go see them blowout guys. I'm like, I want to see a good game. I don't want to see a blowout. And it's ridiculous. Now, all of a sudden, and I don't think, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I do not think he deserves $10 million a year, especially if you're cheating. Oh, thanks for the call, Roy. Appreciate it. And look, I, I don't think everything you said right there is off base. Like, I mean, some of that, you're you're a thousand percent right. I, uh, Nick Saban's smart. He knows what he says when he sits in front of a microphone. And if his quarterback had made the exact same conversation, would Nick Saban have given his quarterback, whoever that, his star player, whoever in that situation said it, would Nick have given that star player the same grace that he's now asking for from us? I think we all know the answer to that. What we don't know the answer to, uh, we'll get to, we'll keep figuring out. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save. Who doesn't love that? At Progressive.com. There's a power struggle happening. I can't believe I'm saying this. I Y'all know I don't love golf. But there's a power struggle happening in golf that ties into every single sport. I'll tell you how next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, uh, this is a, a health check here on Mark running the board for us. Uh, look, what y'all don't know is that, I mean, you should you should presume this, but everybody that works at ESPN at some point is rooted in fandom and that fan, go crazy, Mark. Just go crazy. You can cut me off. Just celebrate. This is your moment. And we can play Mark, the sound. Mark, 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 come on. Let's Give us go. Mark. What, what's going, Mark? Mark, tell everybody what just Papa happened. Scored. 
Um, I believe Kreider just scored. So the Rangers have a one nothing lead Early. about two minutes into the game Early. against yeah. the back-to-back champs. A, a minute and 11 seconds in, and we already have a goal. This is going to be a wild series. And uh, what what's incredible here is Mark is a big Rangers fan. And a lot of the people that work here are massive, massive sports fans of a particular team. And they don't really have a choice on working when their team is in action. So I always like to embrace that because uh, right now I'm sure Mark would rather be at the Garden, but he is here. And in the meantime, the Rangers are at the Garden doing God's work. They're up one nothing on Tampa Bay. Mark, uh, your level of focus for the rest of the show on a scale of 1 to 10 will be a... Uh, zero. Okay, zero. That's better than I would have thought. So, we don't have the sound in here. I, oh. can't, I can't imagine... MSG after that after that goal so early it must have exploded. I mean, yeah. Go ahead, crank it up, Mark. Let's go. This is what we're doing. It's what we're doing. Look, I, I, this playoff for the NHL has been one of the most spectacular I can remember in years. The games have been incredible. Uh, I thought that we all expected that this was going to be a battle here between the Rangers and Lightning, where goals were tough to come by, and instead. Barely a minute in, you get a nice little one-timer. It looked like a video game goal. Straight up, looks like an NHL uh, 2K type goal. So, uh, good good play by the Rangers, and now we have a one nothing lead. We'll keep you updated on that. But there's a golf story happening right now that impacts everybody. And, and I, I genuinely mean everybody. Uh, if you are a sports fan, keep an eye on what's happening right now for the PGA. Uh, and I'm not talking about the match. I don't give a damn about a bunch of football players playing, uh, playing golf. I don't care about that. No. Uh, I'm talking about the LIV Golf International Series event. Now, for anybody that hasn't paid attention, the first event that they're doing has a list of 42 players, uh, and that list includes several PGA Tour players that have names you may recognize. Dustin Johnson now becoming the biggest headliner. So uh, six-time major champion Phil Mickelson was not included in the list of players released Tuesday, uh, but this this event will be held next month outside of London. And so uh, they're still filling the rest of the the rest of the roster out. What's interesting about this is that the PGA has drawn a line in the sand and said, "Hell no." And Jay Moynihan uh, met with several agents of players, and his message to them was clear, according to reports. Uh, if you choose to play in the LIV Golf Series, you will no longer be allowed or invited, I should say, to play on the PGA Tour. So uh, all of a sudden, you have a a line in the sand. Now, uh, one of the main sponsors, RBC, ended their sponsor relationship with Dustin Johnson almost immediately uh, upon his involvement in the Saudi-backed Golf Series. This is interesting because Dustin Johnson is taking, according to multiple reports, more than $100 million to jump ship. And it speaks to agency. What we constantly talk about or talked about in the NBA was NBA players' ability to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to play where I want to play and there's nothing you can do about it. And one of my first radio shows ever for ESPN, I was I was subbing in on one of the weekend shows. And I remember at the time talking about, uh, I think it was Kyrie and his want to get out of where he was at the time. And I said, man, dangerous precedent. You never know. Teams are going to have to stand up to players at some point. And I stand by, at some point, we have to look at it and say the world is changing. See, we thought only NBA players could come in and say, I don't care about my contract. I don't care about my situation. You're going to play me where I want to be played. You're going to trade me to who I want to be traded to, or I simply won't work. We thought that was unique to the NBA, and it becomes easy for fans to just ignore it when it's an NBA mindset. Maybe that's not your thing. 
What do you do when it's golf and now you're looking at it and saying, well, maybe it's permeating into everything. Maybe this is the new normal. I mean, Aaron Donald sits here and goes on a podcast and says, hey, if I don't make enough money, I don't need to play. That's essentially what he says. And he's got the Rams by the you-know-what. Rams can't do anything about it. If Aaron Donald really decides every year he's willing to walk away unless he's, let's say, for example, the highest paid player in the NFL, that's within his well within his rights to do. And now in a player empowerment age, it's more and more common. You have players coming in and saying, I won't play here. And teams are bending to it left and right. And where we thought it was only going to impact one group, now what we see is all the way down to college football. We were just talking to Heather Dinich about name image likeness. We live in a world now where y'all like, just get ready for it. Kids are more entrepreneurial today than I've ever seen. I'll speak to the music business because I think, you know, I, I think my resume there speaks for itself, right? I, I look at the talent for kids that are musicians now that are 10, 11, 12 years old as somebody that played Carnegie Hall when I was 10 years old. My God, I look at the talent that's out there now. It's unquestionable. There is so much young talent, but what's bigger and better than ever before is that young talent understands its value. I've got peers in this industry that constantly tell me the same phrase, know your worth. The minute you walk into a room, know your worth. You think that's that's hard for me as a middle-aged uh, you know, 44-year-old dude to understand? Think about what it's like for somebody that's 15, 16, 17, and knows that they have a once-in-a-lifetime skill set. Know your worth. The PGA can turn around. It's a smart move to say, hey, you're, if you're a part of that, you can't be a part of this because we are the PGA. But while we can question where this money comes from, we can question all of the things about uh, what the LIV Golf uh, Group is going to be doing. Athletes that want to get a payday? Can't question that the cash is coming to you. So now all of a sudden, while we're sitting here saying, yeah, but what about? Uh, let me ask you, if they decided they wanted to pay, let's say, Tiger, let's say a billion dollars, would they not get their money back? You know they would. They keep these pots that are bigger, as Devin explained to me earlier. Devin's my golf expert, right? Like he's my golf coach on this. Uh, their payouts are about uh, 1.7 times the regular payout, but they're using substantially less golfers per event. So the opportunity for every golfer involved to make more is there and it's real. And now you walk into a bar any single weekend and you ask yourself, does anybody care if Tiger's playing for the PGA or the Lib? No. Nobody cares. They just want to see Tiger. That is free market, which is weird for all of us to sit back and say, okay, well, we'll accept it here, but we won't accept it there. I mean, Saban earlier, we, we, we told you Saban's out here saying, I want fair and equitable. Well, so do athletes. That's the big difference that we're missing in all of this. An entrepreneurial generation is raising athletes that understand that they aren't just athletes, they're small businesses. From the day that they sign anywhere, from the day that they're good at anything, they are small businesses. They will market themselves as a small business. They will sell themselves as a small business. And you as a parent would be proud as hell as if, if it was your kid out there figuring out that entrepreneurial business spirit from day one. But that's what athletes are doing now. And when that comes with the amount of money that's there for them to take... It changes absolutely everything in what we should expect from athletes and absolutely everything about what the future holds for sports. This isn't just a golf issue. It's an all-sports issue. We've got tons to get to on the Stanley Cup playoffs next. Going to bring in a buddy. We're going to chop it up and figure out who's going to win it all. That I, I've, I've just put him on the spot with that. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
I give up. I give up pretending I know anything anymore. It's like the gods know when I put money on anything and they're just going to turn around. Like I hammered the under. I hammered the under. And now all I'm doing is watching my wallet disappear. It's Main and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. And uh, in, in case you didn't catch it there in the Sports Center update, uh, in what we thought was going to be an incredibly low-scoring game, we now have 1-1 as Tampa Bay has tied it up. The Rangers scored uh, about a minute into this thing, and now we have a tie game. So uh, I no longer know what to expect. What I do know is that Arda Okal is with me, and Arda does some of the best work uh, that we have uh, on, on all things hockey and really everything else. Arda, thanks for hanging out. Arda's in studio with me because he just finished a digital show and then walked all the way across campus. I am incredibly thankful for that, my friend. Uh, I'm 1-1. One, one. I, I guess I just thought that this would be one of those series between Tampa Bay and New York that you were desperate to watch any team score goals. Are you surprised by this? First of all, your wallet's going to be fine because I'm going to pay you for those compliments. <laughs> Either in that or cheesecake. We'll Perfect. figure that no, out. Cheesecake <laughs> Steve Levy said it actually uh, during one of the intermissions um, or maybe the point where he said this series could have literally been seven one nothing games and no one would have batted an eye just because of the storyline going into this. The overwhelmingly uh, biggest storyline for every hockey fan and just everyone was Andre Vasilevsky versus Igor Shosturkin, the two best goaltenders, one of them of his generation, the other of this year for sure. And so the fact that this is 1-1 after half a period is very surprising. But also, you could say maybe we won't get as many goals as that for the rest of the game. Like, if this stayed 1-1, I don't think too many people would be uh, would be surprised. I, I guess, too, there's got to be a little—I mean, you're in the Garden. It's game one of the series. I feel like— that there's an adjustment. I'm, I don't want to say nerves for a bunch of professionals, but I I think that does play a little part of it. For you, th- there's been rest for Tampa Bay yeah. at this point. How much do you feel like their legs are going to play a part of this series? So they had uh, last Monday was when they last played. They they <laughs> swept the Florida Panthers, which was in itself bonkers, and the Rangers literally played a couple nights ago. So the the, the rest is now for the. Lightning, they just went through two 20-plus game postseasons, back-to-back cup champs. So the rest for many of those players was probably welcomed. I have asked a bunch of our analysts, I wanted to know, what is the optimal amount of time you would want between a series? Such that you get enough rest so that you're ready to go, but then not too much so that rust doesn't settle in. And the overwhelming response was four days. They said four days is like the optimal amount of time. And so Tampa had a lot more than that in this series. So you could excuse even maybe a period's worth of flubs or whatever the case may be because, you know, they had a lot of rest. But that's the optimal amount of time. In this case, both teams don't have that. But I don't know. I- I'm still expecting a-, a really fun series, especially for hockey nerds for this one. Uh, well, and hockey nerds know this well, but I mean, come on, Tampa Bay has become, I mean, the 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 banner of how to do it, right? Two straight cups on a quest for the third. Are we giving them enough credit for what they're accomplishing? We were not giving them enough credit up until this point. I think when they swept the Florida Panthers, they became the favorite to win the Stanley Cup, even over Colorado in many people's eyes. I think Colorado has a better team on paper, according to many people, and the funny thing about that series with the Panthers was that 
the Panthers got so much better on paper than the the Battle of Florida last year. And Tampa, you could argue, was worse. They lost their third line. They didn't have Braden Point. He skated this morning uh, at Morning Skate, but he wasn't part of that series. And they got and they swept them. And the Panthers scored three total goals the entire series. I mean, my goodness! If that if that's not an indictment or if that's not an indication of a team that knows how to win. Nothing is like this is just incredible what the Lightning are able to do. So what should we be valuing then? Like, because the interesting part of this series is you have a team that knows how to win in Tampa Bay, and you have a team you have a team that knows how not to lose in, in the Rangers. I mean, I would argue that what they have done in their ability to face elimination and then say, "Now nah, we're good, we're going to keep playing," is in and of itself most of the time becomes the reason that we all jump on a bandwagon covering a team. But they're taking on a team that flat out knows how to put you away. So I, I struggle to know what to value in this series when you have two teams that have come here with such different uh, sort of processes. And not only that, they came back from multiple goal deficits in those elimination games. That's insane. So the Rangers showed a lot of resiliency. The one thing that people will point to is, yeah, but they haven't faced nearly this level of goaltending in the postseason. Louis Domingue, I'm not taking anything away from the goalies, okay? It was unfortunate for the Hurricanes not to have Freddie Anderson, their number one goalie for the majority of the season. Antti Ranta's a good goaltender, but he was their backup goaltender this this year, and that's who they faced in the second round. In the first round, Tristan Jari goes down to injury Louis Domingue, who is essentially a journeyman goaltender. And don't get me wrong, he had his flashes of brilliance in that series, but he's not what people would consider a starting goaltender in the NHL today. And so people will point to, well, the Rangers had it easy uh, between the pipes in the opposition, and now they're facing the best goaltender of our generation. They're facing Andre Vasilevsky, the guy that knows how to win, the guy that's won it twice, the guy that is, what, what is his record in um, Game 7s? It's like he's allowed one goal in the last, like, how many games? It's, un, in, in, it's crazy, in the last six or seven games. He is just unbeatable in Game 7s. So... I, I feel like the Rangers have shown a lot this postseason. And remember, they're playing with house money. This is not where people expected the Rangers to be this season. And Igor Shesterkin is a huge part of that. But the Lightning, Ryan Callahan calls them the Tampa Bay findaways. Mm. They just find a way to win. Well, and believe me, if the Rangers find a way to win this game, the hype is going to go through the roof. Arta O'Callaghan Studio giving us a straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. So let's get the straight talk on last night. I inject that in my veins. I, it was at times <laughs> bad hockey. I understand that. But my God, it was video game hockey on rookie mode. Like everybody was scoring on everybody. I, I'm. What do you make of that sort of a, a game in the beginning of a series? Do we just throw it away and say it won't be that the whole way? Or is that what we're in for? So the series we just talked about, Tampa and New York, I think this is the Hockey Nerd series. You have a lot of intricate storylines. You have some players really to dive into. This one, between Edmonton and Colorado, to me, this is the Grow the Game series. That's always a concern among hockey fans. We got to grow the game. We got to make it more accessible. We need to. We need more palatable storylines for people outside of the hockey bubble to latch onto. To me, this postseason, there's no bigger storyline or no bigger athlete in hockey to latch onto than Connor McDavid and what he's been able to do. And a lot of people will say this. Connor McDavid, if you look at the gap between Connor McDavid and the rest of the league, he is in the same conversation as a LeBron James, as a Tom Brady, as those you think of any athlete that is well above the like replacement in their position or in the league. 
Connor McDavid absolutely belongs in that conversation uh, for hockey. And he's 25. Like, that's the other yeah. part. Of, like, he's mind-blowingly young. So, you mentioned something, and before we get you out of here, I, I think this is important. Uh, ABC has the Stanley Cup final this year, which is going to be a huge opportunity for the growth of the game, I believe. So, what's better in your mind for the game? Connor McDavid, the biggest star, or an American team in Colorado? Like, when you just think about ratings and the way that, that we all look at the growth of the game, what's better? There has always been this sentiment in hockey that it matters more the crest at the front of the jersey than the name on the back. Hockey players are humble. They don't show their personalities. They say we instead of I. There's no superstar mentality in hockey. I do believe that that is changing slowly and surely. And this season, there were a couple of great examples of that. The most shared video in hockey this year was probably the Trevor Zegras goal behind the net, over the net. Sonny Milano bats it in. That had like 80 million views in the first three days, hmm. right? To me, though, the, the athletes are starting to embrace that. Now, I wouldn't say that Connor McDavid is the type of athlete to embrace that kind of attention, but I will say that the image of him being the best athlete in hockey, the best performer in hockey, raising the Stanley Cup can do nothing but good for the sport of hockey. Yeah, I have no vested interest in it. Like, I have no rooting interest, I should say, in who advances at this point. I keep thinking that you give me Rangers versus Oilers in the final, and that is a... That's iconic ratings numbers, which is all I want. I want I want hockey to continue to grow. Follow him on Twitter at Arda. Arda, appreciate your time. Thanks so much You're for the hanging best. out with me. All right. The NBA Finals start tomorrow. We'll get you caught up for it next. Plus, the Bob's Burgers take you didn't know you needed. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Rangers Lightning 1-1 in the first. That game's on ESPN. Be sure to check it out. Really, really proud of the work that we've been doing as a network covering the NHL and covering the playoffs. It's going to be incredible watching the Stanley Cup final on ABC. You don't want to miss that. And in the meantime, don't forget, you can hear every single second of the NBA finals on ESPN Radio. So uh, fear not, though. Sarah and I will be here throughout all of that on any normal Spain and Fitz day. Uh, we'll be here. They just might be slightly shortened shows as we get you ready for the NBA Finals every single night. So uh, we always appreciate you guys choosing to hang with us. I appreciate you guys choosing to call in today. We don't always open it up to callers, but when I'm by myself, I love having that conversation. Daryl in Florida. I know, Daryl, I was talking about Nick Saban earlier. I know you want to chime in on it. So thanks for calling the show, Daryl. What you got? Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm great, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this first. I'm, a, I'm an Alabama fan. I'm a big Alabama fan. And as a fan, I've been living the dream for the last 15 years. Heck yeah. But I can't roll with Nick when Nick says that he wants everything fair and equitable. I, that's that's just not true. Uh, these coaches uh, uh, want uh, bigger stadiums, bigger training facilities, bigger dormitories. So when I hear that come out of a coach's mouth, I just can't roll with it. Yeah, I, you're right, Daryl, and thanks for the call. I mean, I think that's the part that, that bothers me that I don't think we're talking about enough right now, and that's quite simply that if we want fair and equitable in college football, then we got to start at the top and work our way down. I mean, we don't start with the players if we want fair and equitable. We start with the facilities. We start with the athletic directors. We start with the coaching staffs. I mean, look at the the budget. For example, Clemson has done a great job of keeping until you know until now they've been able to keep their entire staff together, right? And you look at it and say, well, how? Oh my gosh! Well, 
They've been able to compensate people at a, a level that it makes sense to stay there. Alabama is able every year to go in and get basically whoever they want, however they want for their coaching staff. And that's certainly not fair and equitable if you're a small school, if you're if, if, not even a small school, if you're Utah and you're over here saying, well, we want to be part of that fun. Well, uh, you, you have less money to spend. And that doesn't even take into account the facilities. I've I've toured a lot of these facilities, whether it was in music or whether it's now in sports. And there is nothing equitable about the, the facilities that Oregon's playing in versus the facility that Oregon State's playing in. I mean, that's in the same conference. That's rivals. It's not anywhere near equitable. That, that's There's nothing fair and equitable about college football, and that's a reason that competitive balance has been skewed for a very long time. And if we really want to fix competitive balance, to me it comes down to, all right, if you want to normalize the amount that's being spent, normalize it in every possible way and if you want to normalize the game then what you're really going to have to do if you ever want to create fair and equitable you're going to have to start limiting scholarships allowing less people to go to the schools for free which is a difficult conversation for both sides to have but every college football expert I've talked to that I think has looked at this this issue from left and right will say that eventually until you start limiting roster sizes you're not really going to get fair and equitable anyway so uh, Nick wants fair and equitable because Coach Saban wants to be able to continue to be Coach Saban. But unless I unless I turn around and read a headline tomorrow that he's decided his staff won't be a, won't be paid a dime more than the collective total of the least paid staff in all of college football, then nothing's fair and equitable. And if he's not going to give up that money, why am I going to ask all of these athletes to give up that money just because it makes things easier for Nick Saban and Alabama? I, I don't see it that way. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and and like I said as we get ready for the stand, for the NBA finals I think it's important to remember Draymond I I I just have to continue to hammer this point home when it comes to Draymond Green because Draymond is a great talker great Draymond's a great media member Draymond's a great defensive player Draymond is he's he's incredible but when you talk about the great Golden State teams are you talking about Clay Steph and KD, or are you talking about Clay, Steph, Draymond? It's the weirdest part of all of this, the Draymond Green part, because we basically gave up on the Warriors at one point, even though we've argued they have three Hall of Famers, right? We gave up on them because in some ways, we're not viewing Draymond the same that we view those others. This is a a, a, a drastic example. I'm the first to admit it, but this is – this is what Draymond will hear and, and, and will be cut up for him. Draymond's basically Horace Grant in this in this equation. Yes, he's a much better player than Horace Grant, but he's certainly not Dennis Rodman. And when you look at the great Bulls teams, they were all trios, right? When you look at the great teams that we constantly talk about, it was never about a big two, it was about a big three. But what's the article out there on ESPN Plus today? How will the big twos attack each other, right? How is Clay and Steph going to, how will they attack the defense of the Celtics? It's not... How will the big three? I mean, I, I I told you the other day, I think Draymond has a shot to be the series MVP because there's going to be the opportunity for a defensive player to shine. But if Draymond plays like trash, if he doesn't play well, if the Celtics carve up Draymond, if the Warriors don't win this championship, why does that have to do everything with Steph's legacy and not with Draymond? Last time I checked, I mean, if you want to say, hey, who was the alpha on the great Golden State teams. All right, well, one of the alphas, Steph. One of the alphas, Clay. Has Draymond been an alpha? 
for all of the Batman-Robin conversations, has Draymond been Batman? Or is he that really cool other hero in this example? Is he that other character? Like, maybe he's not Luke Skywalker. Maybe he's not Han Solo. Maybe he's Lando Carlissimo. Still important. Still a huge part of the story. But boy, he, he's not the guy. And that's the legacy opportunity that presents itself. Steph's got nothing left to prove. Steph's not nothing left to do. And I, I, you can't tell me otherwise. I, I'm, I'm stubborn on this one. My, my heels are dug in. But there is plenty left to do when it comes to Draymond. And Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, we're going to try something new. You know, uh, this, this was a big weekend. It was a big weekend in movies. And I went, to, I went to Devin and I had something on my brain. And I said, Devin, I got something on my brain and I think I need to get it off and get it out for the world to hear. So we're going to do something new. Devin, we ready for this? This is, this is a brand new feature. Are you nervous, Devin? Yeah, what did we uh, what did we land at? What were we calling it? Well, we're going to call it a minute on my mind. Oh, I just want... Right off the bat, that's a scary thought. Well, I mean, it's a minute on my mind. It, you know, this could go anywhere. Sarah's not here to, to rein things in, and y'all, if y'all tattle on me, like if you guys go tweeting Sarah that I, I went off the rails and, and lost my mind... I, we're not going to be friends anymore. No pressure, but like depending on how this goes, this this could like you know very well be a daily or weekly feature. Well, here's the thing: I feel like if we're going to go with a minute on my mind, we should do this. And they, they they've come up with the great music bet. It's exactly one minute long, so we'll see if I can get this all out in one minute. But the most important thing is that it's got to be something pressing that matters to everybody, right? It's got to be something we're all passionate about. So the first ever minute on my mind should be obviously about Bob's Burgers. It's an institution. It's a huge part of my life. It wins my vote every single time I sink into my couch, realizing I don't need that last perfectly chilled glass of cherry vanilla scatterbrain whiskey or one of the chewy vitamins I took that has me drooling all over myself while my dog looks at me like I'm crazy. Again, it's brilliance. From musicals to the random shop name next door to the must-read, cleverly named Burger of the Day, a cartoon as perfect as the burgers you know you taste from Bob's mostly clean grill. Bob's Burgers, a must-watch. Bob's Burger the movie? A must question. You're on TV every day. Who needs a movie? Why? And for the love of God, choosing to release this movie on the same weekend as the new Top Gun, that's more questionable than Teddy's motives with Linda. The family deserved better. Best would be no movie at all, but better is at least not releasing it on a weekend that dooms the family for the kind of failure that would even make Jimmy Pesto uncomfortable. Wow. You did it. I nailed the dismount on that. Feel really good about that. Still haven't seen Top Gun. Want to see Bob's Burgers, but I, I I don't know, Devin. Listen, I saw Top Gun on Thursday, the day it came out, and I'm seeing it again on Saturday. It is one of the best movies I have ever seen in movie theaters. Wow. Now, what what are your thoughts on the first Top Gun? You're doing this to me, huh? So uh-huh. I, I don't remember if I actually saw the first Top Gun movie, but the, one of the best parts about the second is that you feel emotionally invested with little knowledge of the first. Well, that is, uh, I've heard from multiple people that the second is better than the first. I've heard from multiple people that are your age, Devin, that they never saw the first. Then they went back and watched it after the second, and they were very disappointed. So don't take that step. Just enjoy where you are. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.